Welcome to Art Ladders, The Creative Climb with Valerie Allen and Armin Mersman. This podcast is focused on interviews, features, and stories about art. It's for artists and art lovers. I'm Val. I'm the abstract artist in the group, joined by Armin, the realist. Hi, everybody. This is Armin, the realist of the group, and I'm here with Valerie Allen, the abstractionist. We're going to be doing something a little different today, episode 47 on Art Ladders, A Creative Climb. For a long time, I wanted to do an interview with my father, Fritz Mersman, who was an artist and also quite the character. But we tried playing with that, and it just didn't do what I wanted to do. So I'm going to talk about my dad, his artwork, his influence, and just some of the crazy things he's he said at times to me, which uh, I talk a lot about those in class. He was a big influence, and he was quite the character. Well, what do you think, Val, about this? I love this idea, Armin. And I'm hoping that through the discussion, you're going to throw in that super German accent that I fell into. I will, I will try to do that. Uh, my voice is quite a bit higher than my dad's voice. So when I listened to it yesterday with an accent, it just sounded like me doing an accent. So, But yes, I'll, I'll talk about uh, certain things he said that was quite funny and sometimes quite wise and right. sometimes just quite strange. Quite bizarre. Yes, quite bizarre. My first encounter with with your dad, Fritz, I didn't even know you yet. Okay. So we, this was over 20 years ago and I had just moved to the town that we're in now in Michigan. And I was with a girlfriend and we were going out to this little pub Fricks on Saginaw road, uh-huh. Fricks kind of a sports bar. And I remember we were sitting there and all of a sudden we saw this convertible geo pull up uh-huh. and out climbs Fritz and Carolyn, his wife. They came in, they snuggled up to the bar and they probably, they were a, little, a bit older, of course, and the rest of the patrons in there. Mm-hmm. And they, they held court. Oh, sure. Everybody knew them. Uh, Carolyn had on a little beret and a plaid pleated wool skirt you know she was looking very scottish i don't know if that's her background but uh, fritz being german he was dressed to the nines he had a white linen sport coat on he had a steel blue um, shirt that matches his eyes and he had this white wild hair and just captivating Mm -hmm. he was just captivating with that accent so if you were walking into a bar today and you were your dad how would you greet the bartender the pub holder (laughs) oh he would probably say something that's probably not pc today well you You know that was my dad you know old school kind of thing uh uh he would probably say well how are you doing today oh yes and then then that's right Mm -hmm. I love that. He's very... What do you recommend? You tell me what I want to drink. This is how he would say that. And of course, it it, it came out probably more charming than my voice says, but he uh, he didn't mean any harm, but he always, he was a, a, a bit of a, a cat, I guess. Well, a bit of a ladies man, I would call him, mm-hmm. because he would hit you with that that accent and those blue eyes, and it was like, oh... 
here, have a Bloody Mary. <laughs> sure. My dad, you know, I guess it's surprising for me. He was not much of a drinker. He would have a, a drink maybe. And every time he'd have a beer, he would squint his face like he just ate a sour lemon. <laughs> he just did not like the taste of alcohol. <laughs> but there was times he, he ignored that and uh, had a great time and was even more the life of the party, so to say. You know, I um, I was recently listening to Peter Noon of Urban's Hermits on uh, satellite radio the other day. And he was saying how when he gives his gratitude prayer at the, in the evening, he always thanks the Lord that he was born in a time when Beatles, when the Beatles were, were originating their music, playing their music. It was very precious to him mm -hmm. as that time period is precious to me. Your dad had a certain angle on the Beatles. Well, when they first came out, he's, what is this? Love you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is clap. <laughs> and of course, being nine years old and was all over the Beatles thing, had the lunchbox. And, oh, yeah. You know, in the end, the Beatles gave me the understanding of what I wanted out of art, especially mm -hmm. as they grew. I don't want to make this a Beatles thing. No, no. Uh, but, it's, but my yeah. dad had no patience for the I love you. Yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, 20 years after they were here and then they were, were gone. Are you still listening to the love you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they change. You want to hear any of the new stuff? I am not interested. <laughs> He cracked me up on that. But he loved the album by Iron Butterfly, Indigata Devita. Oh. He would play that album over oh. and over and over again. Um, yeah, he, he was a so he picked and chose, and we shared music together, which I did with my children, and I thought that was good. Other than uh, I guess the Beatles, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I love it, but uh, swinging this a little bit more to the serious side. Um, he grew up in a very tumultuous time in Germany, and you have some thoughts on yes. that upbringing that he had during that time. Describe well, the time. Well, obviously, that was a very sad time for the people all over the world. Um, so some of the things I'm going to talk about uh, are a little more on the serious side and the sad side. Um, when, when the war started, I think my dad was 12 and, uh, in the beginning, you know, there was a lot of nationalism going on there. Uh, and, um, my, my grandfather hated all that stuff. He mm -hmm. hated the Nazis. He, he actually got to a point with his vocalization against the Nazis that they took his store away from. He owned the first Singer sewing machine store in Germany, worked very hard to get it. And because he was so anti-Nazi that they took the store away from him. And the only thing he could do was then repair sewing machines. And for the rest of his life, which was only, he died before I was born. He died in 54. Um, but he he stood this ground on my dad. He was a kid and he was kind of caught up in that fervor a little bit. Mm -hmm. He was part of the Hitler youth, uh, which was mandatory. And one day my dad didn't show up and, and you know, uh, they came to get Fritz. So they went mm -hmm. upstairs, you know, three stories high, knocked on the door. And my grandfather, whose name was also Fritz, mm -hmm. answered the door and he said, where where's Bobby? They called my dad Bobby as a kid. Where's Bobby? He's supposed to be here. And my, 
my grandfather threw both of them down the stairs mm. said, get away from me i don't know where bobby is get going and so that's the kind of thing that my dad grew up with uh in 1943 they bombed the uh the, the allies bombed the city of remscheid um and uh there was about 8000 deaths there and uh obviously that affected my dad a lot uh in uh in December of 43, he lied about his age and, and joined the German army because, well, because that was the thing to do. He didn't want to get drafted because you never know where you ended up. But he ended up in Monte Cassino in 44. It was the winter, January 44. And uh, those of you who know about war history know that was a major battle. Uh, he was caught by the Italians. And the Italians where they would execute their prisoners. At that time, the Italians already had turned with the Allies and they would execute their prisoners. But the Americans came along and uh, saved them and said, no, we're just going to take them. And he ended up in a in a concentration, not a concentration camp, but a prisoner of war camp mm -hmm. in Roswell, New Mexico. Mm -hmm. And uh, the way the Americans ran those camps, there was one up here in the Tri-City area where we're from, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, they were all over the place in very desolate places. Uh, the Germans actually ran those camps and the people in those camps did not want to escape. Hmm. They had better, they had a better life there than they could have in Germany. Hmm. And that's how my dad got interested in drawing of all things. He, uh, he, uh, he, he didn't have any art education at all. Was not interested in art. Really. He knew a kid that drew very well. So here he was, 16, 17, maybe at that time, and he got some paper and pencils uh, through the guards, and he just became, he started drawing and enjoyed it. And after a year, he went back to Germany. And while he was in the prison camp, what sort of subject matter did he work on? He just drew the other other guys that were there. So he just started off with portraiture and uh uh, I, you know, I, those things, those drawings, of course, did not, ex, you know, exist. I'm just going, my, my dad told me here, but mm -hmm. uh, he had no influence. He he didn't have somebody like most of us say, oh, I like, uh, you know, Rembrandt or like Van Gogh or I like this or I like that. Right. He, he just wanted to draw and uh, he was very good at it. Hmm. So that began his career in art, so to speak, during that time, right? Yes and no. I mean, he went back. Germany had lost the war. Um, they had to rebuild Germany and every German had to go out and and clean the bricks. There was uh -huh. a lot of bricks so they could rebuild. Uh -huh. And for two years, everybody, that's what all they did every day, just clean the clean bricks the and try to rebuild. Um, while he was doing that, he kept on drawing. And... Uh -huh. uh, then started a painting with oil and started looking at books. He was very influenced by Van Gogh, for instance. Mm -hmm, and he had that. this very thick painterly style. And again, there was no internet. There was, you know, there was no libraries in Germany. This just came from a few pictures he saw at, at odd times. Mm -hmm. uh, at that, that time in Germany, there was, there was it was chaos. And uh, uh, but he kept it up. And so when I was born in 55, um, my mother and father, um, uh, my mother was only uh, 17 years old when I was born. And uh, I was 
born um, two months early. I weighed close to two pounds. Mm. And uh, we were in a hospital and they said, you know, give him an emergency baptism because he's not going to make it. Oh my and my dad took me home and said, I'll, I'll figure it out. This was my dad. That's, that sounds like that sounds like my dad for sure. Uh-huh. So uh, I wouldn't eat milk. So he started feeding me oatmeal. I was a kind of an experiment, I think. Anyway, he started feeding me oatmeal. I was a preemie. And uh, well, here I am. Right. Right. But a half a year after that, my mother and father decided they would let my grandmother raise me. My grandmother and grandfather, who had 11 children, four of them died in the war, children. And um, they raised me till I was about four and a half, five. Mm-hmm. Then my mom and my mom, Heidi and Fritz, that's what I called them, um, got an apartment. And for the next year and a half, we lived in that apartment. And then um, he started getting known for his work, at least locally. And we did have family in Michigan. That's my, right. my aunt. Mm-hmm. Uh, those of you who are in class with me, uh, Keith Dant, who's in one of my uh, classes, uh, we came here. He was two years old. I was seven years old. He taught me how to t- uh, speak, speak English. English. And uh, I love that. Uh, we we have more of a brother relationship. So so now we're here in uh, in America. And your father did he come over before you? No, he did not. We all we all came together. And the only thing I remember, we were on a ship. And I remember Marilyn Monroe died on that trip. Oh, so that that will t- tell you exactly what time yes. it is. And once we got here, you know, I was all freaked out because where are all the cowboys and Indians that oh. I saw on, on television yeah. and things like that and read in books? I was very blown away by that there was none of that stuff. Everything was big. The cars looked huge to me. Oh. You know, everything looked big. The streets were big. The towns were big. The fields were big. Everything was huge. And it was August and it was hot. Uh-huh. And I remember my first morning, we were living at my uncle's at that time in Essexville, Michigan, which is, uh, if you look at Mi- Michigan as a, as a mitten, uh-huh. it's right in the thumb area of that. Or you know, So I remember the first morning I woke up. I started getting so homesick to my grandparents because they raised me. Right. And I drew a little drawing on a piece of paper that later on when I was in my 20s, I made a drawing of called Transplant. Mm-hmm. And if you go on my on my website, I think it's on there. You can see it on there. Yeah. It's a very symbolic and very symbolic. wonderful, wonderful drawing of a geranium kind of being plucked from its roots. If I well, Yeah, it was a geranium. And, but the, instead of roots, it had barbed wire. Oh, that's right. Barbed wire. And the, the geranium was in color. So I used watercolor and then drew over that, mm-hmm. which I'm trying to figure out now how I did it because I want to do something like that. <laughs> but at that time, I, you know, I, I was about 24, 25, uh-huh. something in that when era. When you did that you drawing. Know. But I'd had that sketch that I did. So the, the, it was symbolic. The sky has a heart in it. It's hard to see, but it represents my grandparents. Uh-huh. A geranium represents me coming from Germany. And then the barbed wire was round and it was trying to fit into a square hole. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was the narrative of the piece and the symbolism of the piece. And uh, those of you who know my work, as I still work a lot in symbolism. 
You know, that that makes me think with Fritz's work, uh, because I know he's also was also a writer. When he was doing his early works, was there a narrative going on? Was he getting into symbolism then and talking to you about it? My first memory of uh, my dad and his studio and what he was painting at the time was these historical paintings he did for the city of Frankenmuth. That's kind of how we got here. My aunt knew uh, Tiny Zender, who was who owned Zenders in Frankenmuth, Michigan. And he he had a photograph. She had a photograph of my dad's work. And he said, we want some of his work. And he lives in Germany. Well, we'll pay for him to come here. Mm-hmm. So the first five years, uh, he painted on those paintings and did other things at the same time. Um, what I remember was when John F. Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas, mm-hmm. my dad did a whole series of paintings. He was really moved by that. And I remember the drawings, the graphite drawings were so dark. I remember I was good. I've never seen a, a graphite drawing be so dark before. Dark in values? Or dark, dark in values. values. Okay. And, and very symbolic. One was a, a, a little boy of color with a tear coming down his mm-hmm. eyes, you know, mm-hmm. just that, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that time, I started to get interested in doing art, too. Well, let's say I had no choice with my dad. You know, my dad, you know, so you will be an artist, you know. That's what that's where it came from. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't say, Dad, I want to be an artist, too. It was, it was like, was it pushed on me? I don't think so, because when I was three years old living at my grandmother's house, I would do drawing after drawing of ships and underneath ships and fish. And I lived in a mountain town, so I hadn't even, even seen the ocean. Mm-hmm. So I was already creating at that time. Maybe that's hereditary, uh, but my dad was uh, a big influence on me. And that's kind of where I'm going to talk about in a bit. But when he did this series of the Kennedy assassination, there was about five or six pieces like that. Um, I found that they moved me to such an extent. And I was, I was nine, mm-hmm. it's nine years old that he was speaking to me, not in words, but with, with the symbolism, the narrative, um, and how he could draw so dark. And I'll tell you in a little bit what he used to draw so dark and how that came into my language. You know, my dad was not educated in art at all. It was all Mm self-taught. And uh, a lot of those things uh, hung on to me. Uh, My parents got a divorce in uh, 65. Um, My dad moved all about... 50 miles from where I live in Tuscola, uh, Vassar, Michigan, uh, had a house there, got remarried for his second time. He was married five times, by the way. No, mm-hmm. it's not surprising. Um, not surprising at all. <laughs> no, I'm you know, I was trying to tell him, you know, you could date. You don't have to get married every time. But anyway, uh, you mind your own business. That's what he <laughs> would say. None of your business. And so he had built me in his studio. He built his studio. He's a painter. He was a woodcarver. Uh, he was a draughtsman. Uh, he was all of that. He he put up a desk for me to draw. He wanted me to draw. He didn't want me to paint. He 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 knew that drawing was the foundation. Mm-hmm. How he knew that was instinct. But uh, we he picked me up on the weekends. I would draw there, and then I got a I got a drawing table for my room with my, with my mom. 
And uh, so I ended up drawing all the time, not schooled by anything really other than my father till I started going to high school. Right, right. Now, your father, you talk about he built himself the studio. Tell me about some of those crazy locations he developed through the years. I'm talking about, didn't he have certain gallery situations that he kind of opened and lived in? Oh, yeah, that's much later. You know, my dad, I remember my dad and I, we would always go to this restaurant called the Texan Restaurant in, in Saginaw, Michigan. And he would, we would go, when he picked me up, we would go there and spend hours at the same table and I would draw on a, on a, not a napkin, but a, Oh, table, a uh, placemat. Placemat. Uh-huh. And he would talk about our, his dreams for us. We were going to open uh-huh. a studio slash gallery and we we're going to have a fireplace in the middle of oh, it. Goodness. And you will have your studio and I will have my studio and, and people will come and they will buy our art and, he he really believed that and made me really believe that. I really had faith in that. Um, we talked about art all the time, you know, and it still was limited. Once we got to the United States and he had the ability to go to museums, that changed a lot for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he became this huge fan of Van Gogh, mm-hmm. Van Gogh. Mm-hmm. And uh, he showed me some books. And at that time, they were black and white. And I'm like... Uh, I don't get it. You know, <laughs> I didn't understand why anybody would like that until I saw my first band go in Toledo, uh-huh. Ohio at the museum there. I was about 13 years old and I understood because the feeling from that piece took me right into his soul, floored me, floored me. And uh, that was another little hint about what I wanted to do. There was my dad, there was the Beatles, and, and there was Van Gogh. So, Van Gogh. you know, Van Gogh. <laughs> and so uh, I, I I, never wanted to paint like him, nor could I. But I started getting this interest in, in deep observation and really looking at things and trying to understand how we see things. You got to remember, I'm 13 years old at this time or 14 years old at this time. Right. So uh, there was an incident I have to tell you about, though. I had a I had a teacher. Maybe she's listening. I was her first student in her first class. Oh, in an art class? You know, I was in an elementary school. Oh, elementary. Okay. And she's been following and she's now in her 70s or something. Uh-huh. Like that. And she called me about a year ago. She said, Armin, I'm uh, Mrs. I don't remember her name. I'm sorry. I had you in my first class. And she said, I've been watching your art career just flourish. She goes, you you do so well. Have you ever learned to spell? (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks. (laughs) But anyway, it's a side note, because I was going through all that stuff at that time. You know, it was like, you know, make Armin do the drawings. And I was that way because that's what I did. Uh I, I really did. I didn't, you know, it wasn't. Like I have to do it or I will die if I don't do it. Mm-hmm. It's just what I did. Mm-hmm. And there was a young man across the street from where I lived who was, uh, who c- was, couldn't hear, couldn't speak. And he was a good drawer and we communicate through our drawings. Mm-hmm. So. And your father always, always said to you, you will be an artist, right? He oh, always said that. Oh, and sure. I think that has definitely 
<laughs> made an impact, of course. He had lessons for you. What was a typical Fritz art lesson for you? Well, let me here's an instance. I was I dared mess around with cartooning at one point, mm-hmm. right? Because some of the kids were doing cartooning and I thought, well, you know, people like this. So I am in the studio drawing cartoons and he looks at me, what are you doing? So I'm drawing <laughs> cartoons. It's like I like he caught me with a Playboy, you know. <laughs> what are you doing? And so uh, he said, he says, took the cartoon thing away, threw the cartoon away, and put up a glass with a fork in it. Says, now I want you to draw this a uh, fork in a glass. Yep. And so thought that was kind of weird, mm-hmm. but you know what? Learning refraction, oh, learning yeah. how to see, mm-hmm. getting the ovals right. The that was his whole purpose. Uh-huh. He didn't want me to waste my time on something that he knew I wasn't going to do. And I do remember him saying one thing that kind of opened my eyes to everything. I was doing some kind of a drawing. He looked at it and he said, Almin, he says, you are, you have a style. I'm like, I have a what? <laughs> What's a style? And he said, he, he pointed out to certain things that I still do in my work today. Mm. You know, he was never mean about it, mm-hmm. but he was very much insistent about how, what I, how I thought about art, what I looked at, and that art is just not about the craft of drawing. It's about the idea, the concept of it. Mm-hmm. When when you would do some of the assignments that he would give you, did he give you critiques afterwards or did you pretty much go through the process? And then went on to the next, or did no? He he gave, he gave me opinions. I would call opinions. it not. You know, mm-hmm. he would he would find both the good and the bad of what I was doing. Okay. You know, he would say, uh, "Oh, I mean, I really like the way you got this eye here, but uh, there's something wrong with the mouth." And uh-huh. I said, "Well, there's always something wrong with the mouth." <laughs> and then that sergeant saying, "Yeah, yeah, right." So. Um, you know, he would look at it and I think it's too big, too small or whatever. And uh, he also said to me something I tell my students, don't always try to fix something. Just remember what this was about, then go on to the next piece. You're not going to fix everything in one piece unless you're a perfectionist. And if you are, don't become an artist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wise words, wise words. Um, there's so many fun stories I recall with Fritz. Uh, you and I met a little bit later in our lives. And so I'm, I knew Fritz as a couple with Carolyn, his fifth wife at the time. Mm-hmm. And they would. But who's counting? But right? who's counting? Who's counting? But I remember being so impressed with the way they would, as a couple, take daily drives and have lunch in cemetery areas. They would have lunch in the cemetery. And, and talk for hours. Yeah. About um, art, life, writing, oh, uh, deep well, discussions. Well, let me go a little bit farther than this. Mm-hmm. When uh, I started going to, to high school and then I went to Delta College here, uh, Community College, which had a great teaching team, uh, I started doing everything backwards. And they would look, they would look at my work and they, they were extremely impressed, but they would say something like, well, you can't use a drafting pencil. You have to use a wood pencil. We've never had people use drafting pencils. That's what my dad used. He figured it's the same weight, sharpen it, have different leads. And I would say, of course I can use a drafting pencil. Mm-hmm. Because my my from the minute I stepped 
foot into a school, into a college, I decided for me, I'm not after a degree. I'm after learning the techniques, old master techniques, drawing and painting as realistic as I can, because I eventually wanted to be an abstractionist because I started falling in love with abstraction because we would go to museums all the time. Another thing my dad did not like, he did not like abstraction at all. Okay. So, but you wanted to learn everything in realism before you moved on. Was that it? Yeah. You know, I was really into the, I was really into the abstract expressionist. I was into Klein and Pollock and Diebenkorn and all those kinds of things. But I couldn't get there. You know, there was no, I needed more foundation. Mm -hmm. So that's when I started really going to different schools and learning different programs. And at some point, after about five years, I was also in the meantime, I was an illustrator in the Air Force before that. So we're kind of moving around a lot here. But I mean, we want to, I want to show you how my dad is part of that. So when I got done with school, what I consider I was done with school, I wanted to do abstract art. And I did for about two years, I did abstract art and found out it's not the abstraction that interested me. It's how you place things on a paper or on a piece of canvas. And I was very interested in realism. So why not use realism in more of an abstract way? And so that's kind of what I learned from that. And my dad understood Later on, he became a little bit more sensible and understood abstraction after I told him what to look for. You know, he was not he was not uh, educated in abstract art. And so he was kind of against it because he was kind of afraid of it, I think. You mentioned earlier that your dad was able to to draw in a way that was very dark. And you said you were going to tell us later. OK, well, the reason is. he got so dark is a, is is the way I teach now because I still get very dark. Instead of trying to use a wooden pencil and press really hard and make it dark, he took a drafting pencil and got dark in stages mm -hmm. and not press as hard as you think he would. But he got to the point where in drawing lightly and drawing lightly, you don't crush the paper and polish the paper. That's what makes graphite drawings shiny. What I do is I I went from drafting pencils to mechanical pencils, and now I use a 0.2 and a 0.3 mechanical pencil, and I can get as dark as you could and anybody can get with pressing way down. But I don't I don't ruin the paper. Mm -hmm. uh, as a draughtsman, the, the the paper and how it stays is very important to me. I don't want to mess. I don't like to erase out that messes with the paper. You'd have to take one of my drawing classes to, to understand all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. Um, yeah, I really um, also appreciate the way I picture Fritz as a dreamer, always dreaming, always coming up. You mentioned different studio scenarios or the way he would dream his paintings into life. Mm -hmm. Well, I know that I, I, uh, I modeled a lot, oh. uh, right? And so did whoever he was married to. Uh, you might hear my dog is dreaming right there. <laughs> He's dreaming. He's dreaming. <laughs> um, uh, so um, what was I talking about? Oh, 
<laughs> while we were I'm talking sorry. about dreams. <laughs> you and the dog's dreaming. The dog is dreaming, so we got a little off. Uh, we're talking about face. the techniques of yeah. it all. But, you know, my dad was a dreamer, and there was nothing impossible for my dad. My dad took up wood carving and ended up with the best wood carver, uh, George Heinhofer, I think, was his name. I might be wrong on that. He was very well known and he ended up as an apprentice and he did a lot of wood carving just because he wanted to. You know, my dad, he was, I remember one time my dad decided he wanted to be a mechanic. So he put new brakes on his cars. Oh, and so I'm looking at him. He put brakes on there and there's like three parts left over. And I said, Fritz, <laughs> you got three parts, whatever, it works. <laughs> That's oh, I can hear this. Can one hear time this. he was, a, he, I took him, I was teaching live in classes. I think it was at the Midland Center for the Arts in Midland, Michigan. And, uh, and, and uh, I took him as a guest, uh-huh. right? Yeah. For people to draw him for portraiture. Oh, he's also, a great character study. And, you know, I would say things, well, you know, Fritz, we're talking about composition here. What are you talking about? I don't talk about composition. That's all clap. I just draw what I see and what I fear. And he 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 did this throughout the whole class. Not wasn't he didn't want to intellectualize the stuff into words, you know, rules of thirds or something. He he didn't even have patience for that. No, he you know, didn't. he would use paint. He would buy Winton, which is a kind of a student grade paint with something like Old Holland or whatever. I would see him painting and he'd have cadmium red in his beard. Oh, I remember that. I and then, he, then he'd wash off with turpentine. Oh. And uh, uh, he did everything just the way he wanted to. And nobody could suggest anything else to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did once I started to go to school and I started learning some ways to do things. And I tried to teach him those kind of things. He wanted none of it. So... Um, and also, interesting thing, at 50 years old, he quit painting, making That's art. right. He, he how did that decision He happen? died at 84. So there's 34 years he wrote. He wrote. Wrote five books. They're not published. They're have the huge, manuscripts. too. I've seen yeah. the manuscripts. Mm-hmm. They are huge. And his wife was, uh, you know, his last marriage lasted 30 years. So his wife was, an, uh, Carolyn was an editor for the uh, uh or the Bay City newspaper, so she helped him. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. So, uh, oh, I wish we could somehow do something to get those published. I don't know what that what that looks like, but uh, well, that's something that I don't even know if they're still in existence. They do. Uh, my stepsister has those. Okay. Um, I hope somebody does it someday, but I don't know why he quit. I had my first. Big solo show at the Sagno Art Museum, which I won through a show. Mm-hmm. And after that, he said, I'm done with I'm done with making art, visual art. I always I didn't know why. I, I mean, I don't know if he, I got to a point where he felt. That maybe that's what he wanted. Maybe it was competitive. A little bit of competition or or just felt that he was creating art to keep you rolling with art somehow there was a time when he stopped thinking about himself becoming um a well-known artist uh-huh. and put all his eggs in my basket uh, I, okay. I, I i i i think he knew he didn't have the 
you know, to sell and to do mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. He would enter shows and not get in. That would tear his heart out. Yes. You know, yes. Uh, obviously, those of you who enter shows, you you don't get into shows. I don't get into shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm uh, the last show I didn't get into. I'm just, oh, I'm glad I don't have to take those pieces. No, down there, you, right? you get you grow up tough skin. But, it, it, but your dad was, was very, very emotional. Mm-hmm. Um very much like his nerves were right there, you know. Oh yeah, he wore he, his heart on his sleeve. He certainly did uh, in in a lot of different ways, mm-hmm. um, art wise, political wise, yes. or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I asked him, well, "Why are you giving up art?" I was just excited to get all his paint and stuff, except the Winton. Yeah, you know, <laughs> nothing against Winton, but no. I didn't want that. But so I got all his brushes, which were a mess. He never cleaned a brush in his life. They all were in a jar. They all had a big curl on them. And, uh, and to this day, I still have some of his oil paints. Oh, I have to poke and then put a cap on there. So I yeah. have to poke a hole in uh-huh. it to use it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, my dad gave me the passion to be an artist. He mm-hmm. gave me that art isn't about painting pretty pictures, although it can be. You know, I'm not, not knocking that, but to, to put yourself into that. Right. You know, what do you feel about the wound? What do you see? What do you want to say? And then my dad, then all of a sudden he did a portrait of somebody, somebody's daughter, uh-huh. hoping they would buy it without being having a commission even to do it. <laughs> Just on the hope he would sell. Yeah. yeah. Dreaming again. Dreaming again. Dreaming so, again. Yeah. Um, tell me about one of the novels. Do you re- Just paint a, a little bit of a scene of the uh, story that he was telling in one of the novels. Well, that's hard because uh, I only read two of them uh-huh, uh-huh. and they were a long time ago. Yes. But one was kind of a historical novel and mm-hmm. there was a lot of him in it early on, especially the first book. Uh-huh. And uh, then there was a book about, uh, there have been books written on this topic before about somebody growing younger. Oh, you know? uh-huh. and, uh, you know, there was always a lot of him in it. There's always a lot of me in it, uh, huh. but it, it had its own take. Uh-huh. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So it was science, historical science, something mm-hmm. kind of like that. Mm-hmm. The novels were, in a way, what he painted, and mm-hmm. he had more breath to talk about his life in the novels than he did yeah. with, a, with a painting. I can, I can see uh, that. I also think he came to a point where he, he figured he couldn't learn anymore. Mm-hmm. And if you're, if you're an artist and um, probably most of our listeners are, if you don't think you can learn anymore, then art becomes uninteresting. Mm-hmm. It becomes repetitive. Uh, even to this day, I was working on a drawing last night and I, you need to figure out how to make a different mark. Mm. You know, and then I tried the big what if. Those what ifs came from Fritz. And people oh. that take my classes, I say, what if, what if. Mm-hmm. That comes straight from Fritz. Oh, yeah. gosh. I am so blessed that I was able to spend a little bit of time with Fritz. Yeah. You know, when we were first married. And I always enjoyed their visits. They were always, you know. Just I, I think I can excited. find one of his pieces to put on our show notes. If okay. That's possible. I can put it um, on our Instagram. Instagram. I'll put it on our Instagram. And uh, yes, you know, I, I he passed away about twelve years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've have some of his, and, and my my sons have some of his work, and uh, you know, um, 
obviously he's missed, but you know, I, I talk so much about him in my classes. Every time there's a subject that comes up, I talk about the Fritz. Oh, I got a Fritz story for you. Uh-huh. And they asked me to do another Fritz story. Do another, do another Fritz, Fritz story. story. So right now I could probably talk about a hundred of them, but uh, you know, we don't want to go on this forever. It just, if you're lucky enough to have a parent that was, that was in your court, like I did. Yeah. That makes such a big deal. Mm-hmm. Now, my mom and my stepdad wanted me to get a job at GM. Mm-hmm. Obviously, for a parent that was good at that time, made a lot of money, overtime, all those kinds of things. Uh, they weren't wrong. That was just their opinion. My dad said, you'd hate it. You wouldn't last a year in it. Mm-hmm. If you're anything like me, you wouldn't last a year in it. And he was right. He, he was, right. he, I, I remember when I was, I was already um, in my fifties and he would call me up. I mean, are you still making art? I go, no, I'm, I'm bowling now. What do you mean? Am I still <laughs> making art? Of course I'm still making art. I just wondered, <laughs> you're not doing that cartooning, are you? <laughs> hey, and one, as we, as we close this out, Armin, and let's say Fritz was right here with us, which I sure wish he was. What would he tell all of us artists right now? What would Fritz be telling us? He tells us to believe in ourselves and reinvent yourself. You, know, you need to believe in yourself. You need to have strength and don't listen to what other people tell you. Listen to what I tell you, but not what other people tell you. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, he he was he was such an important character. Uh, and I hope this little is it's a little different than we wanted it to be. We wanted to interview Fritz with the whole accent thing, but it, it wasn't working out. I think this worked out. Know, great. So uh, this is also for people. It's not just about myself and, and Fritz. It's about you and the people that hugged you and, and, and had faith in you mm-hmm. and believed in you. Mm-hmm. That might've been a parent, a friend, whatever, right. you know, and we all need that kind of thing. And that's how uh, this particular uh, show started to happen. Val and I were talking on Saturdays and Sundays about art and we we, we are each other's mentor, just mm-hmm. like Fritz was mine, Val is mine, and mm-hmm. and vice versa. And we yes. had these great subjects and said, okay, let's yes. do a podcast. And here we are at 47. And I and please tell one person about this show because we want to make it bigger, as big as we can. <laughs> We're having a fun time with all of this, everybody. What about you? I mean, just to so. wrap up, were your, your parents, were they involved in your art? Oh, yes. Not to the extent that Fritz was with you. Mm-hmm. But definitely, and I really, uh, I really like that you say to everybody: think about the people that are supporting you emotionally and in all other ways right now, and and hold them dear to your heart because you're going as artists, we need that, we need that support. Right. So kind of take a moment, listeners, to figure out who those people are. If they're all, if they're gone. Just remember them and pay homage to them. If they're still here, talk to them more. Ask them about your art. It's very, very important. And before we go, I'm, we are both starting something new. Uh, it's being mentors on Mastrius. Yes. And you'll put it on the show notes. Yes. And that's what I want to be to people is a mentor. Uh-huh. Now, just like my dad was. My dad didn't teach me the techniques of drawing very much. They mm-hmm. came from me. 
by watching him, but they came solidly, you know, solidly from me, but he was my mentor. So I hope, you know, being a teacher is one thing is about teaching technique, but mentor is being there. What do people want to do? And can I help them through that? And so in that, that's why I wanted to do this mentorship through Masterius. com. everyone. We uh, both of us have sessions starting up on May 2nd. The group size will be small, eight each. And yeah, we're looking forward to starting this adventure with everyone mm-hmm. as mentors. So think about it. Think about it. Go to that. I'll put it in the show notes as well. I also want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Golden Apple Studio and Residency. I'm going there in July. Looking so much forward to it. Uh, while I'm there in July, uh, we I will be giving one of my golden presentations that will be free of charge. So if you live in the New England area or Maine, and it's going to be the uh, Wednesday, July 12th at uh, 2.30 p.m. at the Golden Apple Residency. I'll put more information on the Golden website and my own website. Uh, You'll be seeing it pop up. So think about attending that free lecture that I give. And it's going to be fun to do it to the main audience. I'm looking forward to that. But uh, 2024 is the next slot that they're taking registrations for. And I know artists who've recently been admitted. That's filling up fast. It's starting to fill. Mm -hmm. It's not too far to think about. And you'll have a lot of time to organize your thoughts. It's an amazing place. So check it out. It really is. And you can reach the director and artist, Shelly Stevens at S-N-S-T-E-V-E-N-S at goldenapplestudio.com. That's S-N-Stevens at goldenapplestudio.com. And thank you very much, listeners, for... Oh, can I put one more thing in? One more time, fast. As uh, I'll be offering uh, quite a few summer workshops and classes. Oh, yeah. And they'll be coming up on my Facebook page and my website within the next week maybe two. And so if you're interested and you come, I'll talk about Fritz the whole day. (laughs) That's right. And it's an honor to do this for me. It really, really makes me feel proud of him and uh, what he has given me. Wonderful. Okay. Thank you, listeners. See you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. You can find our past and future episodes at anchor.fm, Spotify, and Apple Podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook page, Art Ladders, The Creative Climb with Valerie Allen and Armin Mersman. Special thanks to our producer, Taylor Kramer of Cold Shower Media. And check out our websites, ValerieAllenArt.com, ArminMersman.com. Stay creative. Stay curious, and we'll see you next time.